You're listening to a People of Note podcast, as heard on Classic 1027. Good evening, and a very warm welcome to People of Note on Classic 1027 with me, Richard Cock. This program is broadcast every Sunday from 6 to 8 p.m., and in it I talk to someone who is a person of note, and we listen to music of their choice. And I'm always very lucky in this program that we get really interesting people to talk to, and tonight my guest is Richard Stain who has been editor of the Natal Witness. He was editor of the Star. He worked for Standard Bank in corporate affairs, and that's where I first came across him when uh, I was on the committee of the Grahamstown Festival because they were very involved with the Grahamstown Festival or the National Arts Festival. And he's also an author, and he's recently uh, released a new book, which we're going to hear about. In fact, we're going to hear about four books that he's written. So first of all, welcome. Thank you, Richard. Nice it's very nice to have you on the program. It's, I've wanted you for a long time on the program, and you've got a really nice choice of music. So for the next couple of hours, we're going to be really well entertained. And I think perhaps we mentioned your books uh, last, so let's talk about them first, because you've just released a new one, which is called... Seven Votes, How World War II Changed South Africa Forever. Uh, in many ways, not only in terms of uh, relationships between people, but economically, the, the country really took off. It was never the same after the yeah. war. It did take off. You're quite right. And what's the significance of the seven votes? Well, the, the book begins with the dramatic war vote of 1939. Um, General Herzog, who was the prime minister, uh, was in favor of South Africa remaining neutral in World War Two. Um, he and Smuts had governed in coalition in a fusion government for six years. But as the war, as Hitler uh, became more belligerent, Smuts, who had initially supported a neutrality motion, decided that South Africa had to fulfill its obligations to the Commonwealth. And if Britain declared war uh, to the empire, as it then was, uh, South Africa had to go to war on Britain's side. And there was this as I say, dramatic uh, clash in Parliament in September of 1939. And uh, Smuts um, proposed an amendment to Herzog's neutrality motion, which was carried by 13 votes. If seven more MPs had stuck with the Prime Minister and voted in favour of the amendment, South Africa wouldn't have gone to war. My father wouldn't have gone north for six years. And I think the lives of all of us would have turned out very differently. So that's the story of Seven Votes. I then developed the rest of the book deals with the consequences of that decision within South Africa. While the troops were fighting abroad, there was there were all sorts of upheavals at home. And the other rest of the book examines the consequences of the war within the war, as it were. So it was a close-run thing? Extremely closely run. And because of that, it remained a very contentious issue for the next 10 years and, and more. Actually, it's really while you were talking, I was just thinking, uh, if those votes hadn't happened, I wouldn't have been here because my mother's first husband was killed in the war, and then she married my father. So if there had been no war, I wouldn't have been here at all. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> it's really interesting it's to think of that. I mean, I hadn't, I'd never thought of it like that before. Um, 
And it's a really, these books, all four of them that you've written are very, I find them easy to read. They're quite gripping stories. And, and there's a sort of strong narrative thread through all of them. What are the four that you've written now? Well, I wrote my first one on, on, on general, on smuts. And then I was asked to write a book uh, by my publisher on Churchill and Smuts, the relationship, which was pretty close. No, that hadn't been written up in, in, as a book before. And then uh, Louis Boerter, who was Smuts's collaborator, confrere, friend, and and then I decided to do something completely different from Boer generals and try and encompass and write the story of South Africa in the 1940s, which I should add is not about white politics only. It is about the rise of the African National Congress, the Youth League, uh, the Indian community, the colored community, and the roles that they played in the growth of Africana and African nationalism during the 40s, which eventually led to Smuts's fall and the apartheid years of the 50s. On. Yeah, it's a really good read and a very interesting read, and I can recommend it. Seven Votes, it's called by Richard Stein. And we're going to listen to your first piece of music now, which is uh, Rachmaninoff's, or part of it, Rhapsody on a Theme of Paganini. That was part of Rhapsody on a Theme of Paganini, by Sergei Rachmaninoff, played by the Ljubljana Symphony Orchestra under Anton Nanut, the choice of Richard Stein, who's my guest in People of Note. Have you always wanted to write books, or is this something new? I mean, what prompted you to write the first one? Because it's getting going that's the difficult part, I guess. Yes. Well, look, I've read pretty voraciously all my life, and... uh, I always wanted to write a book. I didn't think I could. What started me off, actually, was being asked to write the 150th History of Standard Bank, which was an in-house book, um, which I took three years to write with a lot of research. And by the end of it, I realized that I could, in fact, write a book. And I'd always been interested in smuts in that period of our history. Um, and so I tried it, and the book sold surprisingly well because there'd been very little written about smuts and Bert for that matter for 40, 50 years. And all of a sudden, you know, people have been frightened because of their racial views. People have been frightened in the sort of new world post-war to deal with the issue and uh, so they hadn't biographers had shied off and I thought we'll give it a crack and the first one seemed to work quite well so it gave me something to do in retirement <laughs> and have you got another one in the pipeline yes I do <laughs> that was written du- I'm not going to tell you what it is it was yes. written during COVID because then I had all the time in yeah. the world um, and I'm sort of refining it at the moment it isn't quite finished but uh, that'll I hope come next year Fantastic. And uh, this has certainly provided you with lots of uh, entertainment during your retirement. I mean, where did you start? Where did all this start? What was your first job? Um, Well, I started as a – I come from the Cape like you. I went for a bit of school and you did (laughs) across the – just about across the road. And uh, I went to Stellenbosch University. Um, I be- I'd studied law and became a lawyer, worked a bit in England. And then I was uh, was invited to come back as a as an editor um, of the Natal Witness in Peter Maritzburg for 15 years. That required quite a lot of writing. 
And um, I was there and then asked to appointed as editor of the Star for five years in the 90s, um, just over the transition, a fascinating period. I mean, I was a started work just as Mandela came out of prison, and uh, that was a very fascinating time. Well, and uh, an exciting time to be in, in newspapers. Very exciting yeah. time. When newspapers were still newspapers. Well, I won't... Uh, I won't. <laughs> yes, indeed, you're quite right. Um, and didn't have to deal with this online revolution that has made things very difficult for, for, for all editors from, from then on. And yes, so, so an interest in writing developed then, and I decided, as I say, to carry on in retirement. Your next choice is the Evergreen Symphony Orchestra playing the intermezzo from Cavalleria Rusticana. That was the intermezzo from Cavalleria Rusticana by Mascagni. It was played by the Evergreen Symphony Orchestra, and it's the choice of Richard Stain, uh, former editor of The Witness, Natal Witness, and we're just talking about his time as editor of The Star. And was it during those times that there was a lot of friction between the newspapers and the government of the time. No, the government, the friction had preceded that because by then, you know, the, the, the white referendum had been held, Mandela was released, uh, coming out, and of course all the restrictions on the press that had been there under the previous nationalist regime, regime were lifted. So it was actually a, a, a flowering, a, a let a hundred thousand yeah. flowers bloom, whatever it was. But while you were at the Natal Witness? That was much tougher. I mean, yeah. that was in the, that was from 74 to about 90. Um, and I, you were in the hot seat? Yes. I mean, it was a small paper, so I was, it was a, one of only two independent papers in the country, which is why I, why I was there. Um, I wasn't part of a major group. Um, so it was, it was tough from time to time, but the toughness was in, in trying to report fairly on this awful Encarta ANC conflict in Natal, which was claiming thousands of lives. Uh, it was a very difficult time politically to do one's job as a journalist. Um, and yes, so it, it was difficult yeah. indeed. Has that story been covered properly yet? Well, Anthony Jeffrey's written up a lot for the Institute of Race Relations. It has been, but whether the story will ever come out, I mean, so much went on behind the scenes, and it's been written up from both sides, but both. In, in in black circles, people were so polarized that, you know, you got one version or another. And we sort of sat in the middle of this trying to make sense of it. And it wasn't always easy. Yeah. Uh, in fact, is being an editor of a newspaper ever easy? No. No, I would thought no. It's no. not. You, you sit. And, and editing now became a sort of a managerial job. You know, you didn't, you wrote occasional leaders, you were head of the leader conference, you, you, but you had people, um, you had people doing the job while you kind of kept the show on the road. And it became the the higher you went, the less actual journalism you did, um, and the more managing of staff yeah. and people and events on and and the news. 
Now, your next choice of music is uh, Lachi Darem Lamano. You put your hand in mine, dear, and softly you'll answer yes. This is from Don Giovanni by Mozart. And here it comes then. After we've played it, you can talk to us about it. That was Lachi Darem Lamano from Don Giovanni by Mozart. And that was a version that was performed at Starlight Classics uh, just this year, in fact. Well, it was... came to mind i've thoroughly enjoyed your online version of starlight i'm a great starlight classics fan um i've been to most of many of them in johannesburg um and it's obviously sung by pavarotti and others um but this was the version that you chose and i thought was beautiful yeah we had two wonderful young south african singers Gosh, they're good yeah performing it and you can still see that uh, whole concert actually online if you go to rmb starlight classics 2020 you can find it online it's a great hours entertainment Mm, so i can recommend it and this is just one of the pieces that appeared on it and perhaps this is a good moment to talk about your time uh, because that's where i first met you was when maybe maybe you were editor of the star when i first met you uh, but I had more to do with you when you were on the looking after Grahamstown at the National Arts Festival from Standard Bank's point of view. Yes. Just and tell us a bit about that. We, we, uh, well, for many years, Standard Bank was the major sponsor of the Grahamstown Festival, and that fell into the, into the area of c- corporate affairs and communications, which I headed. But I also represented uh, the bank on Barca, British Arts, which you were on, Richard, and we served yes, business there for many arts. years. Business, business and arts. And art, yes. Sorry, yes, South Africa. And we were in the days of Nicola Danby, and uh, I think Mary Oppenheimer started it, and Mary Slack yes. started it, yes. and Wendy Applebaum, and we were, you were there, and I was there. So that was when our connection began. And another banker, Ivan May. And Ivan, yes. indeed, from Nedbank. Yeah. Yes. And Ivan, sadly, no longer with us. Yeah. Uh, we were actually in some competition with each other at the time and particularly when Ned Bank tried to take over Standard Bank and you know, <laughs> Ivan and I would sort of look at each other and wink um, he was a great loss yeah, and an amazing marketer amazing marketer, incredible yeah. Yeah. for many years they supported the last night of the proms Yes, um, and in those days the charities, because all of those concerts have charities attached to them, I think they made quite a lot of money in those days because Ivan used to plough all sorts of interesting things into the mix. Well, Ivan was, I mean, he, he made Ned Bank a sort of household name yeah. and uh, in so many spheres. And he was a great loss to Ned Bank and a great loss to the yeah. country. And what is amazing is that some people still think that Ned Bank sponsors the last night of the proms. This is now, you know, 20 yeah. years later. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Uh, so firm was it in their minds that Ned Bank was in the was arts. Yeah. Yes, yes. Quite amazing. So how long did you do that job uh, for Standard Bank? Five or six years. I st- yes, five or six years. And then I stayed on. I, I re- retired at retirement age and then came back and, and was sort of part of the bank for the next three years as I wrote the 150-year-old history. Uh, so I was in and out of the bank for, I suppose, almost a decade. And do you have an interest in the arts yourself? Did you ever play an instrument? Unfortunately not. Or I'm, sing in a uh, choir? I just, I just love light music. My, my taste is not particularly highbrow. I have no ear for music whatsoever, but I've listened to it all my life and love it. 
Well, judging by what you've chosen on the program, you've got quite a wide taste in music. And your next choice is O Mio Babino Caro. This is by Puccini. It's Amira singing. Let's, let's hear it first. This is uh, on Holland's Got Talent. She was a young, she must have been about 11 or 12, she I think. nine. Nine when she sang this. It's amazing. Just listen to this. That was the amazing Amira Willehagen singing O Mio Babino Caro. And there's actually a story behind this. Well, I uh, was listening on YouTube to, uh, or in fact, looking up uh, O Mio Babino Caro and came across this uh, clip from uh, Holland's Got Talent. And it was one of the, my most sublime TV viewing moments. I mean, here was this nine-year-old singing this difficult song and but not so much the quality of her singing but the reaction of the judges and the audience i mean it was like an angel had sung. and then i followed her career you know youtube keeps throwing up with their algorithm if you're interested if you've looked at something at a, at a sort of distance i listened occasionally to her and then i discovered to my astonishment that she had a, a mother who was born in krugersdorf she she was living in holland I thought that was interesting. And then a few couple of years later, I heard that she was emigrating. And I thought, uh, well, she's obviously hit the big time and going to live in America. But lo and behold, she was emigrating to Potchefstroom. Her mother had brought her home. Um, you had, meanwhile, uh, uh, used her in a couple of Starlight Classic concerts, which I, I, I wasn't, unfortunately, uh, at either of them. Um, but I was most interested, and, and I've listened to her occasionally since then. She's had some publicity here, but it's an astonishing South African story. She's a, a schoolgirl at Potch. She's established a foundation to uplift the children in, in, in her community. Her, she continues to sing. She continues to produce CDs. And uh, I really, if you haven't heard of Holland's Got Talent and Amira, you're in for a treat. Yeah. So you obviously have. A-M-I-R-A, Amira, on Holland's Got Talent. And you go and look at her then. I just want to add something to that story because when she sang at Starlight Classics, um, she was at that stage still living in Holland. And she said that she wanted some of the money that she was earning here to go to set up, to be part of her foundation, to set up a, a proper playground That's in right. one of the townships near yes, Potchefstroom, Potch. which she did. Yes. Uh, and I know that RMB added some money to that to, to make a bigger pot, and she set up this playground in a township near Potch. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing story. for I mean, for a nine-year-old, it was just incredible. Well, I think yeah. it was, and uh, I just think it's a, it's, it's a great South African story, and I just hope that she will be with us for a long time. Yeah. Well, we can follow her, but if you're interested, you go and look on YouTube, because as part of Starlight Classics, she performed, and if you look on the YouTube figures, the other people who perform at Starlight Classics have about sort of, you know, 1,700 views, 1,400 views, and you get to Amira, and it's like 350,000 views for the same concert. Uh, but it just shows the pulling power that you get on things like YouTube. Yeah. Well, it doesn't surprise me. I yeah. mean, she's a world star. You've just got to read some of the comments. Yeah. 
And perhaps we can talk about that for a moment, because we referred to it earlier on about in the days when newspapers were really newspapers, and you were sort of said, well, you weren't going to talk about it there. But it's really interesting what has happened to print publications now and how that whole world has changed. For example, are your books also available as e-books or not? Yes, they are. Yes, yes indeed. Uh, you can get them in either print or, or online. Yeah. So h- how has that whole world of print publishing changed, let's say for newspapers, because that's the world you were involved in. Very simply, newspapers no longer break the news. In the old days, you know, the street seller would read all about it. You no longer do that. The news is available in in seconds. On uh, So newspapers have become more vehicles of entertainment, um, of opinion. Um, There is not in my view, the division that there used to be between news and, and, and fact and opinion, the two are meshed. Um, and, but the other thing is that the economic pressures on newspapers now are very much greater. Newsrooms are very much diminished. Staffs are smaller. The competition is fiercer. And it's not easy being a journalist as easy being a journalist now as it was uh, in, in, in my day, as they say. And, and the long-term prognosis, do you think newspapers are going to fade away completely eventually? No, I don't think so. I, I think probably what will happen is a lot of the daily newspapers may become have online editions during the week and perhaps a weekend edition, which you, like the Financial Times, for instance, which you can read spend the next week reading. So I think they may be a sort of hybrid developing, but I I don't see, unless the major international newspapers will survive for a lot longer, but you can see what's happening here already. My old newspaper, the Natal Witness, or the Witness as it now is, is going online now, no longer in print. And on smaller newspapers, I think that will will grow and develop. Is the Witness still independent? No, it's in the in the nation uh, the news twenty four sta- uh, stable now. Do you think newspapers or, and I'm thinking newspapers as print newspapers still have any uh, persuasive powers like they used to have? I mean, papers were powerful. Well, I think you know. I think I think the recent American election has, sh- has shown us that that opinions are difficult to change. I never thought the English language press they always claimed had a had a had a great in- influence. I think newspapers had and have a. a, 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 a an influence on what people read about, the issues. I don't know. I think their ability to change opinions is highly overrated, frankly. I yeah. found over the years that people's basic opinions didn't change. What they read about and what they became interested in could cha- did change and could be changed, yes. Your next choice of music is a Chopin etude. It's Opus 10, number 3. Uh, Chopin wrote two sets of etudes, Opus 10 and Opus 25, and this is Opus 10, number 3. Paul Barton is the pianist. That was Chopin etude, Opus 10, number 3, played by the pianist Paul Barton, the choice of Richard Stain, who's my guest in People of Note. Richard was the editor of the Natal Witness. He later became the editor of The Star. He was in Standard Bank as head of corporate affairs, And 
more recently he's become an author. Four books have rushed off the press, uh, mostly about, well, all about South Africans. Um, Unafraid of Greatness, Smuts and Churchill, Louis Boerta, and then Seven Votes, which is the most recent one. So you've certainly kept busy all your life, and you still are busy by the sound of it. I mean, you've got another book coming up, which you're not telling us about, um, but it will be on the shelves soon. Um, what about when you're not doing all of this? You've also done some other things. You've been on cycling tours. Yes, well, I've I've been very physically active all my life. Um, Were uh, you a sportsman also? Yeah, uh, in a fashion, yes. I played a lot of sport as a as a young man. Um, shouldn't have should have done better academically, but didn't because I was playing rugby and cricket and tennis and things. But anyway, when I uh, when senility set in, I got on a bicycle at the age of sixty, along with my journalistic colleagues Harvey Tyson, James Clark, Peter Sullivan, Rex Gibson, and we all went off on a very f- silly expedition cycling in Austria down the Danube, and that grew, and he eventually did. Ten tours of uh, and James has written a very f- of Europe. But James has written a very funny book about it called Blazing Saddles, and um, it was a wonderful annual holiday we had. And um, it's all been written in book form. And was it all men? Yes, it was. But later, I persuaded my wife to start cycling. So quite apart from that, she and I have been on. And in fact, the, the Blazing Saddle, uh, the, the Tour de Farce, as we used to call it, group is now some of them are dead. But my wife and I uh, still cycle fairly regularly in Europe, uh, COVID perm- permitting, which hasn't permitted this year. <laughs> But she's, I think, said, well, if you can't beat him, join him. And uh, she's, a very, she's probably a better cyclist than I am. And what is the fun about cycling rather than anything else? Well, the great fun about cycling is that you're in the open air. It's faster than walking. And you do see a country much better than you do uh, from you know, behind the windows of a bus. So you get around um, in beautiful surroundings. We've done a lot in France. And in fact, most, not most, many countries in Europe and in Britain. And it, it really is. If you haven't done it, I warmly recommend it. Have you got another one planned? Well, we couldn't. We were going to Czechoslovakia this year, and we can't. So I've got a deposit outstanding and the deferred trip. But whether we'll ever get there <laughs> is another matter entirely. And have you ever done the same thing in South Africa? Yes, indeed. I've, we've, uh, through the Karoo, ride reg- regularly. Yep. Every now and then we go off to the Karoo. Some wonderful cycling. South Africa is a very, very good cycling destination. Well, especially the Karoo, because it's vaguely flat. It's flat. Um, not all of it, I must tell you. Not all of it. But, of course, now um, electric bikes are available, and that makes a very big difference. So if you're not a great cyclist, you still have to cycle. It's still, you, know, you still get tired, but it's a different sort of fitness, and it makes cycling available to many more couples. So it's a great advance. Because you can go the same speed. <laughs> you, you can, um, but it does help you up hills. That's yeah, the yeah, big yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Now, one of your choices was 
something from this uh, La Traviata, the drinking song. Let's listen to it, and then you can tell us about it. This is the Brindisi from La Traviata. The Spanish government invited the Tour de France uh, uh, when we were in Madrid, uh, the Spanish government, the Spanish information bureau, or the local market, I don't know who it was, it was official. We were asked, asked to dinner to a, a famous... The Tour de France or the Tour de Farce? The, well, we were called the Tour de Farce because we went very slowly. Um, uh, we were invited to this dinner at a, a, a restaurant in Madrid at which it was uh, next to an opera school. We didn't really know that, but we were served by these immaculate young people in, in evening dress. And all of a sudden, after the main course had been served, suddenly they burst into song. I and mean, it was absolutely, again, spine-tingling. Well, we ended up singing La Traviata. We had no idea what the words were, but the whole restaurant was singing La Traviata by the end of the evening. One of the most memorable episodes we had on the, on the Tour de, de Farce. Yeah, and I'm sure uh, with a group of men such as you mentioned, uh, the conversations must have been pretty stimulating when you weren't puffing up hills, of course. Or drinking beer in between. Um, yes, I mean, they were. A lot of ragging going on, but they were quite stimulating. But don't, uh, don't be over-impressed by them. I keep saying, you know, it's like sort of going on a, a rugby tour of, uh, when men singing get together songs, singing yeah. songs. Yeah. Yes, uh, yes. And talking of men singing songs, your next choice is Leonard Cohen. This is the famous Hallelujah. That was Leonard Cohen live in London singing his famous song, Hallelujah. The choice of Richard Stain. Uh, the program you're listening to is People of Note on Classic 1027. I'm Richard Cock, and this program is broadcast every Sunday from 6 to 8. And it's always an interesting program for me, for you, for Matabataba, who helps us to record it, uh, because people have such interesting stories to tell. And that's what this program is really all about. And I'm sure there's a story behind your choice of Gimme Hope, Joanna. Well, uh, that was a story almost of the transition to democracy, wasn't it? The old, uh, and I, I, you played it at Starlight Classics, I think. And whenever I hear it, I think back to those years, the 90s, particularly 80s and 90s. Uh, it was the f kind of freedom song of the time, wasn't it? There's a lovely, catchy melody. Yeah, actually, there are lots of songs which uh, resonate uh, with South Africa. Yeah. Um, I think of the Bright Blue song, too, um, which incorporated Nkosi Sikileli, Africa, yes. when it was banned otherwise. Uh, there were lots of Paradise Road. Yes, there were. Uh, fantastic. We have a, a great heritage of song in South Africa. In fact, one of the uh, things about South Africa was that the revolution, in inverted commas, was actually born in song almost. Yes, it was, indeed. Yeah. And I'm sure when you were in town uh, working at the star was in town i guess yes in, it was still still is it Fitchin still in town, Street, it's still in, in yeah. town yeah. Um, right opposite the anc's headquarters at uh, little shell house now latuli so you must have seen a lot of singing and dancing in the streets well we also saw some violence too yeah. uh, you know in carter anc fights and uh, yes indeed there was singing there was yeah. but like everything in south africa a mixture of both yeah isn't it amazing how quickly actually we've forgotten those Violent days. Yeah. Yeah. 
because uh, you were mentioning the the terrible violence in Natal between Inkata and the ANC, and there was a lot of violence here too in the late eighties, early nineties. Um, well, it did. It, they yeah. came up into the hostels here, yeah. Boy Patong. I mean, there was lots of it here, but it was more ferocious and widespread yeah. in, 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 in Natal. Natal. So here it is. Quite Give me it. hope, Joanna. What a good song that is. Give me hope, Joanna. Uh, the great song with Eddie Grant. One of the things that you, I notice you've chosen here also is uh, Johnny Clegg and Juluka. And Impy, yes, um, which uh, he was an amazing chap too. Did Wonderful you ever meet him? No, I mm. didn't. Unfortunately, uh, I knew people who knew him, but I never, I never met Johnny. And now, sadly, he's no longer yeah. with us. Because I remember so well. I mean, I can't remember what it was that he sang. Um, I was involved with the inauguration uh, of President Mandela, and. When Johnny came on the stage, there were there must have been. I, were you there? Yes. There must have been probably a hundred thousand people at yeah. the Union Buildings, maybe more. Yeah. And when Johnny Clegg came on the stage, they just went crazy. crazy. Yeah. And what was wonderful was he had a long conversation with them in Zulu. Yes. Uh, which the whole thing was incredibly moving, actually, if you remember that yes. occasion. It was, yes, he was an extraordinary man. Why I've chosen uh, Impey is I had, as I say, 15 years in Natal, and I was a a Cape Tonian, and, uh, you know, every wedding in Natal, as the evening went on, and this is uh, to make my children remember, the uh, the music got louder and louder, and inevitably Impey was played. So (laughs) that's why I've included it tonight in some of my, if not for the song itself, but for the memories it evokes. Well, and sadly, Johnny is now no longer with us, but that was a great era. Yeah. And the extraordinary thing was he was so popular not only here but also outside South Africa, in France, for example. Yes, yeah. yes. We've, we've exported, and I'm not saying he was an export, but we've exported some amazing artistic products from South Africa, dancers, singers, musicians, ballet, dance, ballet dancers. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. And I'm sure you, part of that was you were involved with that when you were with Standard Bank Corporate Affairs. Yes, yes, yeah. indeed. Quite amazing. So here it comes. This is Johnny Clegg and Juluka with Impi. That was Johnny Clegg and Juluka performing Impi, the choice of Richard Stain, emphasizing his connections with KwaZulu-Natal there. Uh, Something else you've done is uh, chosen the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Now, this has got a connection to one of the books you've written. Yes, this is always Churchill's famous hymn, uh, and uh, I had a spell in America for a time, and I thought that was a you know perennial favourite in America. I heard it very often, and I just included it as one of my all-time favourites. Did Churchill like this as a sort of rousing? Well, he was half American, yeah, and admired things American, and was played at his funeral. It was uh, that he chose that specially and asked for it to be played. Just one of your books is about Smuts and Churchill, yeah. and I mean that's an amazing uh, combination of people. When you think that they were on opposing sides in the Boer in the War, Boer and War. actually in the same country during the Boer War fighting. Yes. Uh, although Churchill was apparently reporting for a newspaper. But uh, he was captured, and 
and they became really close friends and colleagues. Yes, they became good friends in the two wars that uh, that followed. Uh, Smuts took South Africa into onto the you know into the empire and in the Commonwealth on the Brit- on the British side, and they did become as, as Smuts. I think was the one man that Churchill deferred to, listened to, and admired for having the qualities that he Churchill himself lacked. He he once said Smuts I think was like must have been like Socrates. He admired his wisdom, didn't agree with him always, argued and so on, but he had a great regard for. Uh, for uh, Smuts had a great Churchill had a great regard for Smuts, and also as uh, a strategist in war. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, because that's made clear in in the reading I've done uh, recently. Because Smuts was one of very few people uh, that consulted with Churchill about the directions of the Indeed. war. Yeah. Um, Smuts had a worldview which Churchill, he also had a, a, was a sort of a mediating uh, force between America, uh, Britain and America, not, a me, not mediating in the sense of getting but, but had a view that wasn't influenced by America. So uh, yes, Churchill respected that. Here it is, the Battle Hymn of the Republic. That was the Battle Hymn of the Republic, and that was a recording made in the Royal Albert Hall in London, the choice of Richard Stain, my guest in People of Note. Do you think, uh, just talking about Smuts for a moment, that if he hadn't been constrained by his party that he was trying to lead in South Africa, uh, do you think his views on uh, the racial issues in South Africa might have been different? Or did he have different views which he couldn't really express because of who he was? I don't think so. I think by that stage, post-war, Smuts was an old man. He went on too long. I don't think his mindset could have changed. Um, I grew up in the Cape just after his death, and I thought his racial views were very outmoded and didn't actually support him. But so I don't think he was... I don't think he was capable at that stage of changing um, and, so, and and I think probably he went on a couple of years longer than he should have and should really have prepared the United Party for change earlier than, than, than he did but he had so many pressures on him and he was actually trying to keep the Nats at bay and worry too much about his own party's uh, uh, racial policies and actually, that brings up another interesting point, which you make in in Seven Votes, which is your latest book, and that is that had he uh, done several things just before that election after the war, now we're talking a bit later now, after the Second World War, he might not have lost that 48 no, election. No, he, he, he should not have lost that yeah. 48 election. He didn't re-delimit and equalize the vote between rural and... And he, he thought he was going to win, and he didn't bother to do it. And, and had he done it, he probably would have won. He would have. Yeah. He won the popular vote. Yes. But he didn't win the, the number of seats yeah. in Parliament, rather like the like <laughs> today, my friend. Yes. <laughs> our friend across the ocean. Our friend across... Well, not Donald. our friend, but... Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> not yeah. my friend. Gosh, yes, that's certainly... Not my friend. ...going on. And... Uh, I guess he dreamed a lot of dreams also, and that's your next choice. I dreamed a dream from Les Miserables. Yes, that's really uh, 
uh, a tribute to my wife Elizabeth. We both love uh, musicals. We've seen a lot of them, and this is one of her favourites. We saw together in London. It's probably the best musical we've ever seen. That and My Fair Lady. And so I thought I'd choose something from Lemers. Yeah, it's a uh, really quite. I mean, it's called Les Miserables, and it is quite a. It is a very gruesome sad. story. Very, very sad, sad story. Yeah. So there it is. I Dreamed a Dream from Les Mis. This is Ruthie Henschel. I Dreamed a Dream from Les Miserables, uh, the music uh, performed by Ruthie Henschel. And actually, there's a strong South African connection in that Dreamed a Dream as well, because um, Herbert Kretzmer, uh, whose brother was mayor of Johannesburg, Elliot yes. Kretzmer, and he, I think he, he, yeah, he wrote the lyrics. And Did he you see grew up he in. D- he d- Died the other day? Yes, yeah, of, just recently. Yeah, And he grew up in Bez Valley, I think. Did he? Yeah, yes. he and Elliot. And um, there's another chap too, Ernest Fleischmann, of same sort of era, who became the um, manager of the Los Angeles Symphony Orchestra He and ran the Hollywood Bowl. Really? So it must have been quite a, uh, a place in those days in Bez Valley, uh, well, in those cases with the Jewish community, um, it must have been quite something, Indeed. I think. Yeah. Uh, there's another story to be told, Ernest Fleischmann. This is an amazing man. Um, we, he did the Joburg Festival in 1956. I mean, we don't need to talk about it here, but it's a really interesting story and worth telling. Yes. So there's another book for you when, <laughs> when the time comes oh, about a South African also. I'm talking to Richard Stain. He's my guest in People of Note. That's what you're listening to on Classic 1027. And we've got a few songs to go yet. And one of the uh, books that you wrote was about uh, uh, Smuts and, and his relationship with Gandhi, was it? Yes, uh, and I see you've chosen something to do with Gandhi, Abide With Me. Well, again, another uh, sublime musical moment was in India a few years back at the in- Indian Independence Parade. And there was this, it takes place uh, on a huge, at the end of the, uh, a huge uh, mall, if you like, with the equivalent of two union buildings at the either, on a hill. The sun sets just above it, a great golden orb, and this, these thousands of soldiers massed. Uh, and then at the foot, at the end of the parade, was the where all the dignitaries gathered. The Indian flag, the national anthem was played. And at the end of a very solemn ceremony of lowering the, lowering the colors, uh, and at the as the flag came down, all of a sudden the band struck up "Abide with Me," which happens to be my favourite hymn. And it was a very, very, and it was done as at a, at a in a Hindu country as a tribute uh, to Gandhi. Yeah, it is amazing, and I mean that all of that uh, stuff is very much not. Abide with me, but India very much in the news now with troubles in Kashmir, yes, and then troubles with China also in the top end of Kashmir. So it's all very topical. Uh, here it is, Abide with me. This is sung by Haley Westenra. Abide with me, sung by Haley Westenra, who is a young New Zealander who sang it at a rugby match. Yeah, 
I bet you, uh, well, you said you were a great sportsman. Uh, I didn't you say great. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoyed sport, though. I played a lot of sport, yeah. yes. Do you enjoy watching sport? Love it. Uh, I watch, I used to. I watch very little now except on television, but I have watched a lot uh, over the years, yes. Have you been to any of the great matches when they were held uh, in other countries? I've been to Twickenham often. Um, I played rugby in, in England and, and in Wales and been to some of the big grounds there. Twickenham is the one that I have been. Um, but I haven't except I've seen the rugby fields in Melbourne and uh, New Zealand, but not uh, while rugby matches were going on. I always go and have a look. Now, you see, I have to dig a little deeper because you said you've played rugby in England and Wales. As what? Uh as a legal article clerk in the city. I played for Richmond Rugby Club, which is one of the clubs of yeah. London. So you, because uh, I thought maybe you'd been at a while at Oxford or Cambridge and played for them as a blue. Played against them, unfortunately not. Yeah. Uh, I played against them for Richmond, but no, never got to Oxford or Cambridge. And what position did you play? I was a f loose forward. A loose forward. There you go. You see, all these interesting things come out in People of Note. That's the program you're listening to on Classic 1027. And perhaps since we're talking about Wales, what about Catherine Jenkins at the Millennium Stadium? Well, Catherine Jenkins is another of your artists on uh, Starlight Classics, but uh, it's, uh, hers is a particular version of, of Land of My Fathers, but that, I think, of all the rugby anthems which I've listened to over the years, that's the one that stands out. That's the one that raises the hairs. I don't have a Welsh bone, uh, bone in me, but it's the one that I love most and... Uh, so that's why I put it amongst my favorites. And here it is. Catherine Jenkins, who's appeared at Starlight Classics here in South Africa. She's performing at the Millennium Stadium, Land of My Fathers. That was Catherine Jenkins singing at the Millennium Stadium, Land of My Fathers. Actually, the, those occasions when everyone in the audience sings are quite amazing. And, and here, too, when, you know, when everyone starts roaring on the national anthem or yes. something here it can be quite a a moving moment really but it's the quality of the welsh singing i think everybody in wales can sing and they start singing at a young age and it's the quality of their voices that always impresses me and i see do you go to opera much when you're abroad no i go to ballet a lot i love ballet i've seen some of the the great ballet ballerinas and ballet dancers, um, but I, I, I'm not an opera fan. I'm not an opera lover. I love some of the music of the operas, but I find ballet, ballet more enjoyable. Yeah, that's interesting for for someone who has not had a sort of musical upbringing that you uh, enjoy quite a rarefied art form. Well, yes. Uh, Were you taken as a child? No, I was taken. No, I went uh, after we were married. But I just love the the grace, the beauty, the the, the you know the uh, and of course the music. And uh, I've got, I've seen you know Fontaine near ever even on 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 a, a visit to Amer America Canada. We were in at, uh, in Montreal on the night that Barishnikov. Uh, 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 went into exile. Yes. 
and we'd watched him the night before, this young Russian dancer. And he defected the next day. He defected, that's the word I was looking for, defected the next day. And so I've seen the great Barishnikov. Wow. Well, you say you don't like opera, but you've chosen a wonderful chorus from Nabucco, the famous Slaves Chorus. That was the Slaves Chorus from Nabucco by Verdi. And I, I should have said, it's not that you don't like opera, you just don't know a lot about it. No, I've never been brought up uh, to appreciate opera, and uh, I don't. En- I enjoy. Uh, I enjoy light opera. Gilbert and Sullivan, I like tuny stuff. I enjoy, but I prefer, as I say, to ballet. Ballet to most other things. Well, there are often good tunes in ballet too. Of course, if you think of uh, Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker, Swan Lake, they're great tunes in sure. that. Richard, if people want to. Uh, hear or read more about your books, where can they go? Is there something on a website somewhere? Uh, well, the books are available on Am- in the bookshops and on Amazon. Um, on Take a Lot or on Loot. Yeah. Um, I can't... So they just look up Richard Stain. And or then the title go, of the book. Or the yeah. title of the book. And the titles are Unafraid of Greatness, Smutson Churchill, Louis Boerter, and then Seven Votes. Yes. Uh, so that's where you go. Richard Stain is the author, and he's my guest in People of Note. Um, and have they all done well? You said one of them had done well. Have they all done well? Well, well is rel- relative, relative, of course. Uh, they've put it this way. The publisher's been happy with them. Um, this is a small readership uh, and in South Africa. Um, and... Uh, They've made a bit of money for the publisher, so they're they're happy, and uh, I can't, you know, they're but not. But it's more of a fun project for you. It's more of a fun project for me. It's, it's certainly I couldn't survive on the royalties one earns in South Africa, but it's a bit of it's a it's a it's a hobby that uh, that does pay you if you sell well, and I've I suppose they have yeah. sold. Respectably. Well, and it certainly kept you active and kept busy. Kept me busy, yeah. And I guess in retirement, this is important. Very important, particularly in COVID lockdowns and things yeah. like that. Well, and as you say, you've uh, written something during COVID, and we wait to see what that is. Um, but your final choice, because we've come to your final choice now, is the famous Holy City, Jerusalem. This is with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Maybe there's a little story behind this, too. Not necessarily. I've just always loved it. Um, and uh, I've been to Utah and seen the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, and I thought this was a, a good version. And I think it's, a, it's another lovely sort of sing-along, is it a hymn? Uh, yeah, it's not, a sort of, sort of in between, religious hymn. Right? Think, Certainly yeah. a yeah. tribute to Jerusalem, yeah. and it's a, it's a good way to end. And it's a powerful number. And if you perform it here, people will join in the chorus exactly. any time. So here it is, Jerusalem. This is Stanford Olson and the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. That was Jerusalem, the holy city, Stanford Olson and the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. The final choice of my guest in People of Note, Richard Stain. And just to remind you, if you want those books, he's written four books and another one on the way, Unafraid of Greatness, Smuts and Churchill, Louis Boerta, and now Seven Votes is the latest one. And he's been editor of the Natal Witness and of the Star and head of Standard Bank Corporate Affairs. Thank you for being on the program. 
great pleasure, Richard. Nice it's to been talk lovely to, to have you on the program, and I hope the books all sell well, and we look forward to the next one. Thank you. And thank you all at home for listening. It's been great to have your company. Thanks to Matabataba Khadebe, who's helped us put the program together. Thank you. Thank you Fist very much. pumps all around. And until next time, from all of us here at Classic 1027, we wish you a very good night.